Thanks for listening to the Treach Podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and today I'm talking to one of my best friends, Lee Tang. Lee doesn't have ongoing chronic stress, but the two major stresses she's experienced in her life, one, coming out of the closet as gay, and two, navigating her 17-year-old sister's cancer scare, each manifested in interesting ways with fear at the center. Lee was on the Stress and Worry virtual roundtable, and you can watch it at tmumc.org slash wellness. So Lee, you were on our virtual roundtable about worry and stress, and I don't know if it was a surprise to you that I chose you for this panel, um, because you're not someone who I would say has like chronic stress or chronic worry, Uh, but I know that you've been through a lot of stressful times recently, Um, and so I just wanted to hear a little bit more about your personal journey and what have been some of the most stressful experiences of your life and how did you overcome them? Well, when you ask me that question, the first two scenarios that come to mind uh, are my first coming out experience and then my sister's recent cancer scare, um, which was actually cancer. So the first time around, I was really afraid. I mean, I kind of went into that with the most optimistic mindset like my parents are hip my parents are cool like they're gonna they're gonna accept me right this was back in 20 december 2015 and i mean i know they love me but i was very off in terms of how they were going to react and how i had assumed they were going to react and so um that when when i'm in stressful situations similar to a lot of people it's like fight or flight right and so after that went really poorly my first instinct was okay let's prepare for the worst being uh, you need to be separated from your family and you need to find independence and and really prepare to be on your own so that night after the dust had settled at like 2 or 3 a.m i went to my room and I just started googling tried to google all of these resources about where to go from here right I came out to my parents they didn't they didn't accept me what do I do now just so I could plan to be on my own and I think that's how I approach a lot of different situations but most recently with my sister's cancer scare that was scary because then it wasn't something that I myself was in control of. I think having some sort of autonomy in the first situation, like, okay, well, it's my choice to be on my own, and that's totally fine, this is my own doing, as opposed to, oh my god, my sister's mortality is on the line, and now I really have to grapple with, am I going to lose my sister? And that was a really hard question to have to ask myself to have to confront day in and day out while seeing her be in, you know, the best of moods and trying to be as positive as she could about this whole ordeal. And luckily, in the first one, I felt pretty okay to conquer it on my own. For the second one, I don't think I would have made it through had I not had a support system like my wife and my parents who were experiencing that same sorrow with me 
and of course my sister and all my friends and so that one was definitely more of like I need a support system to hold me up so what I find interesting about your coming out experience is you know I've talked to a lot of people about their coming out and for them the stress is like leading up to telling their parents and like they'll put it off for years and years and worry about it and already be going through like okay what if they throw me out what if they do this filling in the blank of how their parents could possibly react and sometimes they get to the moment and it's like oh no big deal. But for you, it was the opposite of like, you went into it and you were like, oh, this is going to be fine. And then <laughs> it did not go fine. So what did that stress feel like as you were going through that, you know, that feeling of I thought everything was going to be okay and now it's not versus a month ago when it was I thought everything wasn't going to be okay, and now it is. Like, what's the difference between those two feelings and and how you experience stress? Well, I really hadn't thought about it in that way Sorry, at all. Sorry, I sprung all. a new question on you. No, that's... Wow. Um, yeah, so for the first one, I think in terms of timing, panic set in after the fact, right? That fight or flight feeling set in after the fact and so the first time around I would say that I was totally caught off guard because I thought I was going to be welcomed in this embrace and oh well we love you no matter what and obviously that wasn't the reality as you know and how that stress manifested was just me kind of being fearful all of the time and I think that triggered a poor reaction to communicating with my parents that still lasts to this day. I mean, at least until my sister's cancer scare, um, because then I was afraid of coming out of my room. I was afraid of any interactions with them. And I just felt like that stress was me feeling like I was stepping on eggshells all the time. I wonder if it's because, like, your, your own self-awareness and self-judgment had been shaken a little bit of like the exact opposite of what you expect to happen came through and as a result you were kind of like okay maybe nothing I thought was true is true anymore and like what do I do now exactly because I feel like I have a really aggressive headstrong attitude I'm gonna live life by my own standards and I'm gonna be my most authentic self and I think I had approached my relationship with my family the same way. So you're right. It did shake me to my core. And I really trust myself. I don't trust a lot of people. I mean, I'll overshare on the internet, you know, with strangers and stuff. But, like, there's a lack of intimacy there, right? Um, and so when all that happened with my parents, it was like, oh my God, that distrust just went so much deeper because these are my parents. If they're not going to continue to have me in their life or support me in the way they should be supporting me, then who am I supposed to trust? Well, and so for that instance, your stress turned into fear. Mm -hmm. For this one, your stress turned into physical pain with your sister. Why do you think that that happened? 
I already internalize so many things that whenever I'm undergoing a stressful situation, it takes a really, really long time for me to verbalize it and to name what that is. And so because I had to be this pillar of strength for my family and not let on to any of my own fear and distress for fear of stirring something up within them, right? They, my parents were taking this very toxic, like overly positive approach, not leaving any room for any negative outcome, right? Which is super stressful because then you're not prepared for what if the reality is really bad. And so when when that happened, I just kept so much of it inside because the walls in the apartment I grew up are also really thin and having grown up in an Asian household, it's like, how do you verbalize that you're sad? Well, you don't. You just don't. You talk about it with your American friends or you write about it on the internet, right? But you don't really talk to your parents. And so all of this was building and building and building. And it just really took a toll on my body. So prior to flying out to California, I had started seeing a chiropractor for some back pain and just trying to get a better just trying to get more control over my posture and to improve it. And when I was in California, my body had become even worse than when I initially met with a chiropractor. And it just wasn't a great environment in terms of being able, feeling secure enough to share my feelings while also juggling working remotely and still having these expectations of me of, you know, coming into work, and delivering even though my teammates were really supportive about it so that was that was awesome but something definitely had to give right so well and in the round table you said the possibility and i'm quoting you here the possibility of worst case scenarios coming true overpowers any relief that you feel what did you mean by that Yeah, the more I think about that saying, which I've been thinking about since I got back to Dallas, it sounds bleak, right? Because it's kind of like I should feel like I could celebrate and I have been celebrating with my family, with Lexi, with myself. But again, the fact that it was a great outcome doesn't undo any of the trauma that we collectively experienced as a unit but also individually. And so what I mean by that is what I said earlier, right? Like having to ask myself, well, how many years do I have left with my sister? And am I no longer going to be able to be a big sister anymore? And am I going to go back to being an only child? How am I going to help my parents grieve through this loss, this potential loss, right? Like these questions were just too large and daunting for me to process at the time. But again, I'm in my head a lot. And so because I didn't really have any outlet to exert that stress and to just verbalize these horrible thoughts, it just stayed in me. Hence the manifestation of physical pain. And just, again, when you're thinking about that, I was in California for a month. When you're thinking about that every minute of every hour of every day, it just really start, starts it really starts to be ingrained within you 
And you eventually have to come to terms with, okay, well, if something bad happens, well, this is how I'm going to handle it. And these are the things I need to get in order, right? Like I shouldn't be thinking about planning my little sister's funeral. She's 17. And it was just such a far, it was a situation that had once felt so far off. And now here I was confronting it head on. Well, and I would guess that that fear doesn't go away of after being confronted with the mortality of your 17-year-old sister, those thoughts don't just like disappear like, okay, never mind, she's going to live until she's 95 now. We're good. Mm-hmm. I think that um, that fear stays with you of like, okay, we made it out this time, but now I know like my younger sister could die. Yeah. And I think that that's also a big stress to be carrying that just stays with you. And and so when I heard you say that, like, the more I thought about it, and it does sound like a really bleak thing of like, you know, positive thinking, you know, <laughs> doesn't help when it comes to like overcoming these worst case scenarios all the time. But I get it because like, Especially if you convert your stress into fear, which is what it sounds like you do, um, man, that those thoughts don't just disappear after everything is rectified. Right. Once it enters my mind, it's kind of like, okay, well, now it lives in there. And so many people, I, I feel really grateful for all the support I had received, but also I had heard a lot of, just think positively and just be optimistic. And it's like, it's hard to do that when you're staring at something in the face, Mm -hmm. right? This was not an out of sight, out of mind situation. It was, it came in the form of scheduling doctor's appointments, Mm -hmm. taking my sister to these, to set appointments, consoling my parents, you know, trying to navigate their toxic positivity in front of my sister so that she didn't feel so much pressure placed on these test results or the surgery or the outcome of all of this and I it feels to me like when people say things like just stay positive or whatever empty platitudes that they try to Mm -hmm. throw at you it almost takes away your permission to feel your feelings of well you know, this person told me to be positive. So now if I'm not being positive, I'm disappointing that person in some way. And I would guess that um, as a seven on the Enneagram, that that's something that you're constantly battling, not to mention when you're in a really stressful, hard situation. And could you tell us a little bit about like what it means to be a seven on the Enneagram and, and how... Um, you approach stress differently because of your Enneagram number? Of course, yeah. So I would say that unlike other sevens, I mean, I don't really know many others, I feel very comfortable processing sorrow and I'm grateful for that. And this probably has to do with my partner being so emotionally intelligent and mature and affirming of my feelings as well as you know the therapy that I had gone to in 2019 um it just really helped me 
sit with my emotions. And to give people who are listening, maybe who don't know anything about the Enneagram, sevens on the Enneagram are known as the enthusiasts or the adventurers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they are known for when they haven't done the self-work, of course, Lee has been doing the self-work for a long time, is that they only want to experience the happy emotions. Um, and that's what people expect of them. And so sometimes we put too much pressure on sevens because they're happy, they're enthusiastic, they're passionate, they're upbeat all the time. If they do experience a sad emotion, it makes us uncomfortable. And so we're trying to take them back to that happy place instead of letting them process those sad emotions. And we put that, I mean, you probably, if you think of just the most happy-go-lucky, upbeat person in your life, they might be a seven on the Enneagram, but they have to learn that those sad and negative emotions are just as worthy of our time as the happy positive ones. So that was my little overview of a seven before we go into what it means to be in stress as a seven. But of just wanted to and I really, there. I really appreciate the context too because there are so many numbers. And I really only focused on myself. I'm <laughs> well, good for it's, you. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's hard for me to be able to give an overview like that. But something that I want to call out is an experience similar to what you had just described, Alyssa, happened when I was in middle school. And again, I've always been pretty upbeat and energetic. But I remember there was this one day I was sad. And one of my friends at the time, she almost hounded me. And she asked me questions like, what, why are you sad right now? You know, you're supposed to be happy all the time. Like, what's even upsetting you? Like, just go back to your happy personality. And luckily, I'm not a people pleaser. And so (laughs) I was like, no, I'm going to keep being upset. (laughs) And so um, we are no longer friends, but that's okay. But yeah, how I experience stress as a seven is... The number that I, you know, go to is one. And uh, I mean, I feel like you could give a better overview of a one. But um, ones are just super meticulous, I would say. They're also really in their heads, right? And it's they're ruled by lists and organization. And that's where I go. So if I'm feeling any sort of stress... That turns into me surface cleaning a lot and me organizing all my things, which is helpful, right, in my day-to-day life. But also, it might not be the healthiest way to cope with something as opposed to just processing it and talking about it. But it's almost like a distraction of like, well, if I just clean the house, at least I'll have something to do and then I don't have to think about all of these feelings that are weighing heavily on me right now. Exactly, and I think it's also a control thing, right? Because if I am experiencing a situation that's causing me stress. I mean, I likely don't have any control over what outcome there is, right? Otherwise, I might not be that stressed. And so I think I default to cleaning because that's something I do have autonomy over. And I can control how my space, my office space or my kitchen looks, right? And so it it's kind of hard and I don't know... I don't know what to make of all this, but also how do you know where your stress number ends and where your like actual personality begins? Because for me, am I only organized all the time because I'm stressed all the time? 
every single night, right, I make this list of the things I'm going to do the next day. And it's never just related to work or just related to, you know, my personal life. It'll be a mix of the two. And so one night, Lexi, my wife, she had asked me, doesn't it concern you that you're kind of living in your one space all the time? And I just really hadn't thought about it that way. Does that mean that as a seven, when I am feeling like myself and not feeling any stress or anxiety, does that mean I'm not organized? And- I don't think so, <laughs> because I would I would argue that... Uh, and not to turn this into an Enneagram podcast, but all of my podcasts somehow turn into an Enneagram podcast. Um, sevens love planning for the future. And part of the joy and enthusiasm of life is the anticipation of what's coming next. And so I don't think that creating lists is always a sign of stress. I think it's a sign of excitement for what's coming and the next day. And I think that sevens always want something to look forward to. Um, And so I would say it's not necessarily that you're stressed all the time, but that's where like, I don't, Enneagram is not the be all end all of any tool like you you, it's not always so easy to say oh well I've gone into my stress number and now I've gone into my comfort number it Mm -hmm. all melds together to make the beautiful you that you are and part of who you are is you just like having lists and checking things off and I don't think that means you're stressed out all the time I think sometimes it, it can go to an unhealthy place and only you would know if it's in an unhealthy place but I would think a lot of it is like you just putting something down on paper that you're looking forward to doing. Yeah, and it just feels good to check things off and, of course, experience that feeling of accomplishment. Wow, I feel very validated right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad that I could do that I want to know, so we've talked about some of the big major life moments that have been like your ultimate stressors, but what are some of the little day-to-day things that you have to overcome? Um, Because... I know like sometimes we'll just be hanging out and we'll have dinner or something and a conversation will take a turn and be like, you guys are stressing me out. Like this conversation is stressing me out. And you use that phrase a lot. And so I want to know like what, how do you know that your stress is spiking throughout the day? I'll be able to tell if I start doing something and it almost feels automated right so again going back to that list of things that I'll make the night before if I'm just going through the motions and I'm checking things off but I'm not really in it then that's how I know that I'm kind of just on autopilot and I'm trying to get as many things done as I can some of the day-to-day stresses that I experience and this just seems so trivial but it's really important to me. It's being late to things. And I married someone who's perpetually late. And Isn't that always how it works, though? Yeah, and I really just Punctual have to. <laughs> people never marry each other. <laughs> and I just really have to come to terms with that. We had a conversation. It was a pretty serious conversation the other day. And I was like, man, I'm just late to everything all the time now because of you. And then she, Lexi was like, well, that's just how I am. That's just how my family is. Like, you just really have to accept that. Like, this is who you married. 
And she's right, right? Like, I'm not going to try to dictate um, how long she spends doing things and when we show up to things. I just kind of have to let her move at her own pace and probably uh, tell her that we need to be somewhere two hours before we actually need to be there. Just kidding. I don't do that yet. But um, So but, how do you manage that stress in the moment? Because I'm a punctual person too, as you know. Like, if I say I'm going to be at your house at 7... I'll probably be there at 6.57 because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, like, how do you deal with it in the moment? Because I think it's easy now to say, okay, I just need to chill out. But in the moment, when you know you were supposed to be somewhere 15 minutes ago, like, how do you handle it? Because that's a big stressor for me, too. I think I, the way I approach life is I always end up making things feel bigger than they actually are. Just a bigger deal and so it really helps to have someone who's more lax who's like whoa you know it's better to show up late and safe and sound than getting into an accident on the way there because you were so worried about being late right and so that's really helped me chill out a bit more and yeah I think I just take myself a little too seriously and I, like I said, always make mountains out of little hills or whatever the saying is. And so um, just, again, when I'm experiencing, when I feel myself going into autopilot, just really trying to mentally like snap out of it by pausing in the middle of that task or whatever it may be and just remembering, okay, like, can this be done later? And if it can, okay, great. Then it takes a lot of, practice for me to be able to walk away from that right because it doesn't say, need to be done right away said than done. <laughs> right right so that's how I manage it really like when I think about my day-to-day stress it's all so trivial right like I don't need to get so worked up about this one thing because it can always wait mm-hmm. I think I need a lesson in that too because I tend to get really worked up over the day-to-day things and you don't realize how much of a toll it takes on you over time. And for me, like my go-to emotion is anger. And so if something is stressing me out, even if it's just a little thing that I should let go of, I immediately go to a place of like indignant anger and then I like at the end of the day, my shoulders are by my ears. (laughs) Like I can feel it in my body that I've just been like carrying all of this tension all day for little bitty things that in the grand scheme of things don't matter at all. Like when I'm 75 years old and looking back on my life, am I going to remember that this person didn't respond to my email for two days and I had to send them a follow-up email reminder and I'm really annoyed and why don't people just get back to you and like all of these things? No, I'm not going to care about that at all. And so why do we get worked up over these things? I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, it was an actual question. I think we just get worked up over these things because it, I mean, between the both of us, it's probably a control thing, right? Like if you could just snap your fingers and have someone respond to your email and provide you with the information you need immediately, oh my gosh, great. But we don't have control of that situation. And that's what's really frustrating. And we're both instant gratification generations where like the expectation is I want it 
So I order it and I get it within five minutes with mm-hmm. an Amazon drone or mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, it's uh, we just needed to chill out, I guess. <laughs> I've been doing that more through painting and even using painting as a hobby was kind of stressful at first because I was like coming up with all of these different color palettes and spending two hours finding a painting to mimic and that was frustrating this was supposed to be a relaxing activity and here I am like oh my god how do I blend these colors together together to find the perfect shade and to do the brush stroke the same way as the artist and I was like okay at some point you recognize that you've spent too much time on something and it's gotten out of hand and you're like, I just need to dive into it, right? And that's also a funny place to be in when you're navigating spontaneity as a seven who craves that and appreciates that a lot while also when you get stressed, tapping into one and being like, but this needs to be perfect. Mm. So that's something I'm still navigating right now, that fork in the road. Yeah, and for me it's like, Really, when I'm the most stressed, I just need to do nothing. Like, just sit and do nothing and stop. Because when I get stressed, I start to try and take control over everything and micromanage everything. And I need to know every detail of this process or this project or whatever it is that we're working on together at all times. Uh, And it's because of a lack of trust. It's because I want to have control. It's because of all of the negative things that an eight does because what they say in the Enneagram is before you go to your stress number, you behave really badly in your own number. And so for me, that means like, I don't need you anymore. This is mine. I'm keeping it. I'm taking control over it. This is now my responsibility. I'm in charge. Get out. I don't need you anymore. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like trying to de-stress is literally just sitting on my front patio with a cup of coffee and doing absolutely nothing and staring out into the trees like and not having my phone not having music playing not having anything I am literally just sitting and staring at trees and that is like the only way right now to calm me down exercise is also another way but I have not been doing that lately so I remember when we first started the Enneagram class together that you had mentioned that you really struggled with doing nothing. So to now hear that it's something you default to and you recognize when you're in a place of extreme stress, to be able to do that and do nothing, that's awesome. You've made strides since that class. But yeah, I mean, I can't claim that like when I'm sitting out there doing nothing, I'm not on constantly thinking, thinking about all the things that I need to be doing. So that'll be the next step is turning my nothing time into actual like meditation and mind clearing time. But that's also really difficult. And so we talked about dealing with fear in terms of stress. And so when you were first learning about yourself through the Enneagram, was it hard for you to accept that your number is in the fear triad? Was that something that was a surprise to you? Or were you like, hmm, that makes sense? Yeah, it made a lot of sense. I recently said this to a coworker. Fear drives a lot of my decisions. And so an example would be we had a client photo shoot this past Friday or two Fridays ago. And I wanted to be prepared for it, right? I don't want the client to show up and then for us to just not be ready or have the supplies that we need, 
we needed a backdrop and we needed a bar to hold up the backdrop. And so it was a Wednesday, I believe, and the photo shoot was the following Friday. And I had gone to competitive cameras just to, it wasn't enough for me to call. I literally had to go to the store and no one made me. I just really felt like I needed to be there in person. So I started asking them questions and it might have been a sales tactic, but they had said, oh, come the following week. We don't know how much of this backdrop we're going to have left. And I just don't want to leave any room for mistakes. And so I was like, I'm just going to buy it right now. And so, I mean, we were prepared. Like on the on the actual photo shoot day, we were prepared. But again, the fear of there not being enough supply for my demand, I was like, no, I'm not willing to risk it. Well, and you put extra stress on yourself that was unnecessary. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I hear you on that. <laughs> so... Yeah. Just talking about what you do for work a little bit, um, you are in user experience and user interface design. You've done graphic design. On the side, you build websites, you do photography, you do videography, some of it for contracts, some of it just for fun. Um, On top of that, you are married and you are a homeowner, which has its own set of things. How do you get balance in your life because you seem like a person who is just like go 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 all the time where do you find the time to make room for mindfulness well another example i think (laughs) would be worth adding to your list is you know you'll you'll come over for dinner and like a mid-conversation luckily lexi's there to help socialize with our friends but help all of us who are like (laughs) so socially inept to interact with each other (laughs) no no but like she keeps you all occupied and I'm like oh this is perfect I can start cleaning up right like you've experienced that for me getting up and putting dishes away and stuff but yeah it's a lot and recently I think I was having a one-on-one with my manager and she was like wow that's a lot that you're doing because it's not just my projects at work and then that's it, right? I'm working on stuff personally. No, it was. it's also like internal initiatives that work separate from what's billable for the client, right? And for me, time blocking is something that just helps so much. And so whether that's blocking time to run on my treadmill or blocking time to paint, I even in my, in my work calendar, I block off heads down time right so no one can book any meetings and I can tend to this task that I need to have completed before Thursday or Friday or whatever it may be and so that's how I manage it all and I think something that I had mentioned in the virtual roundtable is just again you really have to work at it and practice this but just stopping yourself in the middle of a task or just mentally pausing and being like hey Am I too overwhelmed right now? Or, you know, should I should I relax by going outside and playing ball with my dog or painting or just watching a show? I mean, it's really hard for me. This is something I struggle with the most, I would say. It's really hard for me to just sit down and do nothing, whether I'm by myself or with Lexi or when our friends are over. I am just constantly moving. But, I mean... I love it. I'm always so happy by the end because our friends go home and then it's like, oh, we don't need to clean anymore. We can just go to bed or we can enjoy our TV show because everything's already done. It's awesome. And so 
And so, um, yeah, I would say time blocking and those intentional pauses. So what does, and this might not have anything to do with stress. I don't know. What does spirituality look like for you and how does it intersect with wellness? I think spirituality is something I still need to invest more time in. Something that I had been thinking about earlier this year was how frustrated I was that for my first coming out experience, I didn't have any faith to lean on. And I almost felt robbed, right? Having grown up Buddhist, my parents, I mean, we would go to temple like once a year and it was for Lunar New Year. But you know, there's still day-to-day stuff you can do, like lighting incense before dinner time and, and praying to the altar that we have at home. But I was never invited to participate in any of that. And also, to my parents' credit, I also never asked to be included, right? I was just like, okay, well, hurry up so that, like, I can eat dinner. And so, and so, um, yeah, I, when I was experiencing that stress, you know, from my first coming out experience, it was like, I felt so alone and I have friends who are like, oh, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm feeling stress, I lean on God or I, I read scripture or, you know, I, I pray every day or throughout the day. And I, I felt so frustrated because I didn't really have that. My foundation wasn't strong enough to be able to lean on that. Um, and so Lately, I've been trying to practice handing things off some more, right? To just kind of unload that stress so that it's no longer a burden on me. But it's still a work in progress. I mean, it's something that I wish I could... What's that saying? Jesus, take the wheel. Like, I really (laughs) wish... I could just pass that off. I would love to just get rid of that saying completely. (laughs) But I need some control, please. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, well, so your coming out experience versus what you've been experiencing in the past couple of months, did you find more respite in faith and spirituality with what you went through with your sister? Um, or is it something that you're like still just kind of dipping your toe into? That's hard to answer because on the one hand, I was really, really angry at God for the fact that we had to experience this in the first place. And I remember talking to Pastor Mike Bachman and he was like in encouraging me to be angry, right? Because, well, what, what did he say? He was like, you know, God would rather you be in a fight than to not have a relationship at all. And I think, you know, Rachel says, Pastor Rachel says the same thing. But I was like thinking, man, why her? Right? I can think of so many worse people in the world who like mistreat others, not wishing cancer upon them, but it just felt so unfair. And I think this is something a lot of spiritual people grapple with and... So on the one hand, I'm frustrated and I'm angry. On the other hand, when everything turned out okay and it was the best case scenario for something really horrible, 
I I almost felt confused. I was confused because I was like, uh, okay, well, I'm kind of grateful, but also like, why did we have to undergo this stress to begin with? Because the trauma lasts, right? Like what we were talking about earlier, these, these fears don't just go away and the sorrow that you experienced doesn't just go away. And so I would say that's something I'm still working through. And I would say my faith has become more grounded, but I don't know if I feel any closer to God. It sounds to me like your faith has become more authentic because what you're experiencing in time, I mean, when I was going through my divorce, I was pissed at God. Like I, what, I was like, God, I have no room for you. Why should I even trust you anymore? Like, I think that that's normal and natural. And there are so many examples in scripture of people going through the same thing. And so I would just say, stay in there, stay in the relationship. Like Pastor Mike said, um, because to be wrestling with God and fighting with God, it still feels like, even though it's painful, it feels to me like a step above that feeling of being alone. Thank you for listening to today's episode and special thanks to Lee for joining me. Keep up with all of our mental health resources and events at tmumc.org wellness.